Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Goalmouth Ramble, the weekly football podcast brought to you every Thursday where we talk about all things Premier League and the beautiful game. My name is Nick and of course by now you know joining me in hosting duties this week are Reese and Jacob. How are the both of you? Doing alright mate. I feel like this is probably my classiest episode yet because I'm still in my work gear. So I'm suit and boot, mate, suit and tie and all sorts. So hope you're ready for some takes. <laughs> you love to love to hear and see it. Uh, and Jake, how about yourself? I'm the opposite. I'm in I'm in comfy clothes. Just uh, slobbing it. Yeah, slobbing it today. I'm on a, a hangover from the weekend, a football hangover, not a, a alcoholic hangover. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah it's going to be a, a, a negative could, episode today, I think. It could be the saddest episode yet, because mm. it's the first time that all three of our teams are coming off the back of a, a loss. So. Yeah. Yeah. How are you all Although, feeling mentally after the, the weekend's action? Well, I was about to say, like, you two might be sad, but at this point, I'm just completely ambivalent towards <laughs> all. I just don't care anymore, which is... After six weeks into the season, it's not a great place to be in. Um, there is, you but, do yeah. have to start wondering for Norwich when is that win going to come? You know, that's now the question. Maybe never. It could be never. Um, but yes, thank you. I say welcome back to all you returning listeners. Um, this is episode eight now, I think. I think it's so. very exciting. We're two, two months into this thing. Um, and as per usual, we're going to start off today's show with uh, a bit of a roundup of the weekend's action just gone with the uh, team of the week. Um, we're going to obviously later talk about uh, our previews for the upcoming fixtures this week and Reese's fantasy corner and fantasy football corner, I should say. Sean uh, couldn't be with us this week. We did uh... a <laughs> so this is your this is your on final notice. I am training. Like, yeah, literally, I need to pack up my ideas this week, otherwise I'll be out of a job before long. Um, and of course, we're going to actually have a little bit of a, a chat and a, a public open sort of a hoped, uh, conversation about maybe the future of football in the Premier League, because there's some rumours circulating, as there always is, about what that's going to look like. But we'll get to that in a bit. But before then, Jake, as always at this point of the show, because um, there's no particular storylines that we want to talk about, again, because we're all a bit too sad. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go straight into Team of the Week for Game Week 6, if you want to take us away absolutely um so we have a new entry in goal he's not been in there yet but he was um arguably goalkeeper of the season last year and my fantasy football absolute legend last year as well emmy martinez um brilliant performance against manchester united mainly in the team for a bit of would you call it shithousery oh yeah, weekend, yeah. Yeah. Um, gamesmanship is what they officially call it yeah yeah it was slash it was yeah yeah brilliant Uh, I've seen him do it for Argentina as well before with the penalties I don't know if you guys have seen it I think it was against Colombia and they got like the audio of when he's speaking to players before a penalty is taken and he's Mm. he's a nightmare he really is and he was um, he was telling Ronaldo to take the penalty on the weekend Bruno obviously took it and skied it and yeah, I think it's I still going. I think yeah. that was rocketing over the bar, wasn't it? Wasn't I think uh, Josh Barton, one of our listeners, tweeted at us um, 
when we asked our listeners on Twitter at gr underscore pod if you want to follow us on there uh, to, for their biggest takeaways of the weekend, and he said that Fernandez's penalty had just landed in his back garden. So <laughs> at least we know where that's is finally to locate the ball. Yeah, I, I don't know how he missed that horrifically. Like, I mean, no. we all messaged each other afterwards and said that's got to be match fixing. Mm. <laughs> or, or, or he's deliberately wants to get Ole fired. Yeah, there was there was something weird about it. Like, it, he didn't, he doesn't take pens like that normally. He's the stutter no. step kind of penalty taker. Why did he decide to try and blast it as hard as he could? Was he just that annoyed at what Martinez was up to? Possibly. It yeah, maybe it was it. the whole the pressure of Ronaldo as well, mm. le- like leering over his shoulder, and like, mm. it's like, right, I'm gonna make a statement here and just absolutely smash it, and well, the rest failed of what happened. miserably. But now credit to Martinez, I think, regardless of that, obviously a good game to to keep Manchester United out, yeah. and that little um, bit of activity for the penalty was really fun to watch as well. So well done. Um, in defence. We just a prior warning to everyone. I'm sure they probably can guess. There's going to be a few entries this week that I'm unhappy about, but I have to <laughs> give credit to. And this is the first of those. Um, at right back, Takahiro Tamiyasu, um, who had a, a, a really good game against Tottenham. Unfortunately, a player that Tottenham could have signed this summer, but we we left him, and he went to Arsenal in the end on. I think it was was it deadline day that you went to Arsenal as well, wasn't it? Or the day yeah. before, or yeah, day before, well, very yeah. very late, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we were we were flirting with him all summer, and then because uh, Jaffet Tanganga seemed to pick up some form, we kind of we left him, and probably wish we signed him now. Oh, what uh, could have been? <laughs> yeah, no, really good performance. I think the a lot of people, especially unfortunately on Spurs Twitter as well, have been kind of pinpointing him as a, as a key factor in the win for Arsenal yeah his... for him as well it's a bit of a commutative thing as well because he made his debut against Norwich and he was the man match my man of the match against Norwich as well for Arsenal mm. uh, and then obviously they kept a clean sheet against Burnley after that and, and then they thumped Spurs so I think he's really we we questioned I think other people questioning is that enough for, for Arsenal to buy a right back who's normally a centre back playing at right back but he's started like a house on fire yeah, yeah. Really has. I think he's, you know, he's, he's the key thing that I've seen is his two footedness. Um, you know, it was very versatile on the right or left side with his feet, um, and just really kind of brought the ball out of defence and started a lot of attacks for Arsenal, and kept our attack fairly quiet as well. Um, so fair play, he's he's in the team. Um, at centre back we have Eric Laporte who obviously mm-hmm. kept the clean sheet against Chelsea. Again, him, could have been him or Diaz, really, but I did see a few really key tackles from mm. uh, Laporte. They kept a, a very dangerous Chelsea attack, very, very quiet. Um, not an easy task. That hardly, well, no team has managed yet. He was effectively man-marking Lukaku all game. Yeah. And there were a few times when he did a blatant foul to kind of take him down, but... That's what you've got to do yeah, against Lukaku. You just got to stop him wherever you can. And Lukaku had a bad game, to be fair, but Laporte was clearly having an impact on keeping him out of the game from having an impact. So yeah, fair play to him. Yeah, really good performance. I think him and Diaz. I know that Stones is probably the the number one choice. Well, mm. number one choice to partner Diaz at the back. Uh, but Laporte is definitely making the most of his chances while Stones is out. 
and he was going to leave this summer. I think he was he was pretty keen to leave. He was on their list, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. and another player in the team of the week this week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I think again, you know, good job he stayed for now. I don't know if he'll stay for good, but he's um, he's having a really good season alongside Diaz at the minute. So I would say long may that continue, but hopefully not really. Just uh, a shout out to Laporte and his teammates for looking us, making us all look absolutely stupid again. Yeah, in a weekly in weekly tradition. So well, we yeah, I was I was going to say I, I, I've been meaning to say to you guys, I think we're a lot better at reviewing than previewing and predicting. <laughs> I think we're okay when we talk about what's already happened. <laughs> But when we look, maybe this is maybe this is indicative of why I haven't won a, an accumulator for about two years. Yeah, maybe I was, uh, seeing seeing a a, a, a plan, um, yeah, something establishing there. Yeah, there we go. Um, alongside Laporte at centre back, we have Courtney Hawes um, for Aston Villa, who scored the winner against Manchester United, kept the clean sheet as well. Obviously, um, did did give away a penalty. Um, but it was it wasn't like a no. shocking error for the penalty, though, was it? It was pretty unfortunate. No, no. Like yeah, you couldn't have was. blamed yeah. him for it. I was he, I was thinking that when I saw it, it'd be such a shame for that to mm. have, to be the, the equaliser and like moments after the, the yeah. euphoric moment of scoring away at Old Trafford, and then yeah, yeah. it would have been really sad. So I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy in that sense that the result was what it was, and you know you could see how much it meant to him and his teammates for him to score that goal. So very much deserved place in the team. Um, at left back, we have another player. Like last week, obviously, Kyle Walker-Peters was in at left back, um, playing on the other side to what he normally plays. And I know Jao Cancelo can play either, definitely probably more than Walker-Peters, but he's generally more of a right back, I would say. But mm. yeah, He has deputised at, at left back before. Yeah. City. He's also played in midfield, hasn't he? He's, he's a bit he of has. a utility man. He is. He's mm. good. He's a good player, um, mm. and he had a really good game against Chelsea as well. He assisted the the winning goal. Um, I mean, I want to address this by the way. That was not a pass. It was <laughs> a shot that Jesus controlled and took shot on a spin. It was not a pass. I'm convinced by that. It was a. Oh, shot you mean you mean Jesus's shot? No, um, Cancelo? Juan Cancelo's like assist to Jesus. That was a shot from Cancelo. That was going way off target because he scuffed it, and Jesus kind of just controlled it and spun it into the goal himself. It was, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't just be in the team of the week. He had a very good game. You know, he was one of the main creative forces on the left with mm. Grealish. You know, them two in tandem were causing um, Aspilicueta and Reese James and eventually um, Christensen uh, all sorts of issues down the right hand side. But the assist was not like <laughs> the great pass that people have no, called no. it. No. <laughs> It sounds um, to me like you're causing a mutiny within the Goldmouth Ramble ranks. <laughs> you didn't hear me I just doing want to make things, Tommy I want to make things clear where I stand on the matter of goals that shouldn't be valued as such. And I even said the same thing about Chelsea. Like, I was a random tangent. You know, Havertz is Champions League winning goal. Mm, um, I'm convinced so. that when he knocked it past Edison, had Edison not stopped the ball, that would have gone miles um, kind of beyond the goal line, like as in like out for a for goal kick. Like he hit it so hard past that he got very lucky that the ball ricocheted off Edison into his path to score the goal. 
But then no one ever mm. mentions that. He just thinks, yeah, Havertz scored the winner. Like, yeah, but it was a lucky goal. <laughs> like, I'm happy mm. to admit that. I just need to make the, these goals. The commentators do talk about that, that goal. Quite, every time he touches the ball, it seems to be, oh, they the do, Champions yeah. League winner, Kai yeah. Havertz. It's because it's the only time. thing he's done for Chelsea so far. That's why. I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Jao Cancelo, very, very good performance. He's say dangerous in attack and solid in defence, which we like to see from the fullbacks. Um. Moving into midfield, this is where it gets ugly for me again. Um, Bukayo Saka was was instrumental in the win for Arsenal. Uh, got a goal, got an assist. Again, very, very, very dangerous going forward. Um, he Every time he got the ball down that right-hand side, he was very scary. And I, re- you know what? Out of all the players that Arsenal have got, I actually really, really like Saka. He's probably the one player that I would... You know, hold my hands up and, and not begrudge mm. having a good game any other week. But unfortunately, this week he had a really good game. Um, but no, it was very impressive. And it's, it is good to see from an England perspective, you know, one of our, our brightest prospects stepping up in a big game and, and delivering like that is fantastic to watch. Well done, <laughs> Saka. Um, Alongside him as well in midfield, very, very similar situation. Um, Emile Smith-Rowe, who is probably not as um, as prominent as, as Saka in the past, but he's kind of really stepped up this year, took the number 10 shirt at Arsenal. Again, a goal and an assist mm. against Tottenham. Those two were unbelievable in that game. They really were unstoppable. And, yeah, I'll stop there before... <laughs> Crap. I think I was saying before the episode. I think I, Smith Rowe was, you know, Saka had a great game as well. But I think Smith Rowe was the real the focal point for Arsenal in that game on Sunday. I think you know that that counter attack where Aubameyang scored, his run and his pass was just like pinpoint perfection. Was, you couldn't have asked him to good. do any better than that. And I think Smith Rowe has shown kind of flashes of he is, he should be Arsenal's kind of key creative figure like he's mm-hmm. I think he's seen the signing of Odegaard as a bit of a challenge now that I've got to fight for my place as number 10 and he's clearly doing enough to earn it at this point so I mm. think he's doing well he's he's approaching the kind of the echelons of people like Mount and Foden as like a really quality English number 10 for the I think he'll service. um yeah I think he'll probably get called up fairly soon oh yeah I imagine so to the squad do we do we think he'll get called up to the next squad? No, a bit too no. early. I think, yeah, I think Arsenal had too poor a season yeah. t- up to this point to get a call-up there, but the next one it's it probably will be, yeah. yeah got to be. It's also a question of who do you drop for him as well. Which yeah, is that's the thing. Especially when England have got so many quality number 10s. Like it's... We are spoiled for choice. Yeah. But tens right and back right, and back. right yeah. backs and number 10s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is not bad. It's good. Good position to be in. Um, but yeah, if he, if he carries on like that, there's no doubt that he'll be a, a future England star, uh, star for sure. And he is our star of the week this week. Uh, begrudgingly accepted by me. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very good, very good. Wasn't Werner, was it? Not Timo. Not no, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> um, back to that game though, City Chelsea game. We do have uh, a partner in midfield for Smith Rowe. We'll go for Bernardo Silva, mm. another player, as we said, who was looking like leaving City this summer. Um, and again, I think it was him who was kind of pushing for that. He said he didn't want to be at the club. I don't think Pep was 
particularly standing in his way, but it didn't materialise for whatever reason. And he's actually had a really good season um, mm. so far, Bernardo Silva. He's a very good player, obviously. We knew that, but he's um, yeah, he's really shining in that City team this season. And that, that performance against Chelsea was very oh, silky, was... just pulling the strings yeah, all he was over terrific. the midfield. And I think it, he's playing a different role this year. Like, mm. in the past couple of years, he's been kind of battling for that right-wing spot with Mares, whereas this year he's much more of a sentiment centrum midfielder. Probably like more like a number 10, but kind of like a number 8 box-to-box type role. And you, yes, on the weekend, you saw him kind of in both corners of the pitch, you know, at one point sending a quarter cross in, on the other point tackling Lukaku back in his own corner flag. Like, he was everywhere. He was obviously dominating that midfield. He reminded, I, I, know he, I know he's a very similar player and has the same name. Uh, mm. He reminded me of David Silva against Chelsea, very much mm. so, with the way he was just all over the place, spraying passes, just creating moves the way he was. Well, was I think, very, I very think more disruptive than David Silva was. David Silva yeah. was so creative and he could control the ball as well as anyone and control the pace of the play, but Silva Not would backtrack like and yeah, yeah. he would really get stuck in and you know, win the ball back and progress play that way. It was it was genuinely a really impressive performance. I thought mm. it was really good. Really good. Um and then rounding out the, the midfield on the on the left hand side, um surprisingly the first the first Brentford player. Brentford obviously pulling off possibly the result of the weekend with a, a three all draw against Liverpool. Um yep. amazing game, an amazing performance from Brentford. Again, you know, we, we, we've been waxing lyrical about Brentford all season. And rightly so, yeah, because they are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving it. I, I love seeing teams come up and... I'll be careful what I say. Um, I love seeing teams come up and, and have a proper go at it and, and just... If that was what you were actually wanted, didn't want to say, I want to know what you were going to say. Why? You didn't I'm want to use com- the word yo-yo, did you? Compete no, 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 that's a trigger word at this point. No, 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 no. We're not going to talk about... The, the Y word. Uh, no, no, it's just genuinely, genuinely like you know we saw it with Leeds last season. It's not gone that well this season, but they came up. They they stuck to their style of play. They did what they wanted to do. They'd never lied down, and they've just just gone for it. And you know, for a team who's just come up to be up against Liverpool and and be losing twice. Well, yeah, three one was it? They were losing, and they and they brought it back to to three two. No, it was. It was. It was one of those games that went like one nil, one all, two one, two two, three two, three three. It was like perfect. Yeah, it just you know, kept that's how football should be. Yeah, it was. Hmm. It was a pretty good game. Every time Liverpool scored, I was I was watching it and thinking, right, that's probably it now, and it, it just wasn't. And if it wasn't for the offside at the end, which was miles offside, then they could have even won it, which is incredible and would have been unbelievable scenes. But yeah, three all draw, um, really good result, and Brian and Burmo didn't. Um, didn't get a goal, but he was again similar to how we said about you know Smith Rowe and Saka and players like that. He was all over Liverpool, causing all sorts of problems down that left hand side and, and instrumental in in all the attacks that Brentford had. Um, so really, really good performance from him. And alongside him, up top, we have uh, Ivan Tony, who was in the team last week. Uh, and he's in again this week. And he's a player that I'm very, very impressed with this season. I think it's always interesting to look at these these players who come up and who've had a, an incredible season in the Championship. 
proven themselves at that level and it's you know the question is always there of can they do it in the Premier League and I think although his goal tally at the minute isn't isn't quite what it was in the championship I think his just the way he gets stuck in and creates chances for his team and is just such a, a headache for the defenders. I think it took him a couple of weeks to acclimatise, but yeah, it did. to see him, but having said that, like a couple of weeks to acclimatise and then it's to be playing bad, like he is the last couple of weeks is really, really good. Yeah, he's he's looking every bit the Premier League quality player. I think whatever happens to Brentford this season, he will be in the Premier League next year for sure. Um, I think his his next his next move will probably be a fairly big one. I would love, 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 love to Harry see Kane replacement. Yeah, hundred percent. I think his his work rate is just brilliant. They've got a similar build. Yeah. Um, I think Tony's obviously a bit more physical and a bit quicker, and like I said, throws himself about a bit more. Mm. Uh, whereas Kane doesn't. Kane, do Kane doesn't do that as much. Well, that this season he's not doing anything. Yet, yeah. But, but yeah, I can I can see the. Um, sort of natural succession mm-hmm. Tony for K in there. I, think. I can I can definitely see that that being the move uh, potentially the summer. So we're completely conjecturing there. We don't know anything, but that is the kind of player that I'd be looking at. And he's he's definitely proved himself. And he was brilliant up top for Brentford. Um, and as I say, could have won it at the end, but it was a bit offside. I think he just needs to watch that that side of his game with the movement and stuff. I have seen him be, be offside quite a few times, but apart from that. Really, really impressive. Um, and then alongside him up top, we have a player who has been in the team of the week before, um, but this week he had to work extra hard to get in because he actually <laughs> scored an own goal as well. Um, Jay Vardy is, I saw a stat, he was the first Leicester player ever to score at both ends uh, in a game, Carl scored an own goal and then, and then scored really? for Leicester. Uh, two goals and obviously equalised for them, got them back on track um, in a game that they looked like they could be in danger of losing again. But, you know, a really important point actually there for Leicester, I think, this season. Um, and again, that game made me look stupid because I said it was going to be nil-nil, I think, and that last season was 4-2, but that was never, not going to happen at all. <laughs> and there were there were four goals, so thanks for that. Uh, but no, Jay Vardy is, is still... Still showing that he's still got it a little bit, you know. I think he naturally will decline, and I think this season he probably will not hit the highs of of previous years. But he's he's still there, he's still doing it. So fair play to him. Good. That rounds out the team of the week. Uh, thank you, Jake, as always. Um, for our sort of debate and discussion this week, we're going to talk about the um the future of football, really. Um, as we all know, football is um, an ever ever evolving entity, and it's a behemoth of this uh, of uh, of a thing that is absolutely global. Um, it's a multi multi billion pound industry, uh, but right now we've got discussions taking place um, about um, I think fronted by Arsene Wenger, he's wanting to host the World Cup every two years, and UEFA are restructuring the Champions League, so. There's a, there's a few uh, sort of things happening here and there that are, are sort of threatening. I say threatening. It might Some people not, might not see it as a bad thing. Threatening sounds like a bad thing. Uh, but um, change is on the, the horizon, shall we say. And then there, obviously, naturally, when you're looking at international and European stages, that's going to filter down to domestic the domestic game um, about how that 
could look in the future. And David Ornstein of The Athletic reported earlier this week, on Monday, I think it was, that the Premier League um, or the, the, the higher-ups at the Premier League are at least investigating the possibility of playing Premier League, uh, what they're calling meaningful games between mm. Premier League teams abroad. Um, so I want to just have a chat to both of you and see how you sort of feel about that as a concept and um, not necessarily just that, but how, because I don't think it's a sort of um, a singular question sort of contained within itself, because I think you have to look at that in construct and in, in, in the proviso of uh, future um, wage caps coming into the league and what they're going to do in terms of you know, distribution of money into domestically to the Premier League and the leagues below it and stuff as well. But as a concept, and it'd be interesting as well, because I think I may differ from you two, because I think I differed from you two on the Super League stuff. Because as much as I think the Super League was... Um, probably quite obviously a detrimental thing and something that sort of flew in the face of historically what it meant what um, sporting tradition meant in the in the uk and the, the teams involved were all rightfully punished for three and a half million pounds each but we'll talk about that <laughs> uh, another day or maybe today it might it might fit into the conversation but i was less i wasn't pro Super League, but I was less adverse to it than I think you two were. Mm. So I'm interesting to see how interesting to see how you two feel about this as fans of bigger, as one of the top six, because I think there is a bit of a divide between the top six and everybody else mm. and their fan bases. And there are a lot of people, fan bases, I know it might have been a throwaway comment at the time, but I think if you actually genuinely asked fans of the other 14 teams in the league about the Super League and they said, and they'd say, well, let them get on with it. We don't care. Mm-hmm. Right, we'll just stay in. We'll just compete between the rest of us and it'll be more exciting every year because um, it'll be more competitive. But idea of Premier League games abroad, I'll go to you first, Reese. Mm. Is it as black and white against or for or a bit more nuanced? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think it works as well or it would work as well as, say, the NFL does. Because that's my barometer for most kind of these changes. Because it does feel like abroad games and salary caps. It does feel very NFL influenced. Or American oh, there, there's there's absolutely no influence. doubt in my league that the Premier League have looked at what the NFL and the NBA mm. are doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. playing their World Series where they go to London, or I think the NBA's moved to Paris now. I think it used to be in London. Yeah. Um, and looking at that model and thinking, well, this is an absolute surefire money maker because. Mm. It is so successful. It is with those in those two instances. But like you said, is that indicative of the American sporting like franchise exactly. system? And I think as well, I think the difference with that is to use NFL as an example. I think they brought in the London games to actually grow the stature of the NFL in the UK and in yeah. Europe, I suppose, generally because the NFL was always a very American thing, and it obviously had fans in the UK. We we always we've had. Um, you know, Super Bowl on the BBC for years and Sky Sports about the NFL rights for years as well. But I maybe I just wasn't aware of it until it started coming to London. And that's when I kind of established my interest about seven or eight years ago. Um, but then if it does feel like the, the Premier League is much bigger in America than the NFL is over here, if that makes sense. Like the yeah. relativity of it is not as... It's not as necessary to do, I don't think. So if we do mm. do American kind of games or we do games in wherever, you know, Japan or something, I feel like the Premier League already has quite a global pull. Like, 
games like the uh, you know El Clasico and the Champions League final and stuff they already attract hundreds of millions of you know viewers every single year that doesn't need addressing really um i am more interested in the changes around salary cap because i had this as 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 it happened this exact conversation at work yesterday with my friend who's a villa fan and he was talking about how he thinks a salary cap would really benefit the whole league because it would shrink down you know the gap between the top and the bottom and try and make it far more competitive but then at the same time you're well aware nick from the nfl that the top teams will find a way to work around the salary There's always cap a way to play the system. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it'll take a few years to kind of introduce it and they will have to kind of have an enormous salary cap to start with and eventually kind of shrink it down and figure out like the average salary that you might the team might use every week. And it would take astonishing amounts of, you know, admin and Excel spreadsheets galore to figure <laughs> out what's going on. Um, but I'm definitely for some sort of salary cap situation because I th- I said to my friend at work yesterday again that like right now the transfer market is just insane. You know, the prices these players are going for are just preposterous and that needs to be addressed and yeah. the amount of money people are earning needs to be addressed and there needs to be a much fairer way to make sure that everyone gets the same treatment. And there was even mentions of these legacy payments to Champions League clubs or something. Mm. Like teams who have been in the Champions League before like, say, for example, you Spurs, because they aren't in it this year, but they were in the final a couple of years ago. They would receive money for being in the Champions League in the next couple of years, whereas someone like, say, if this year Everton, they qualify for the Champions League, they will receive less money than Tottenham, know, even though they're, they're totally in yeah. the Champions League, even like Tottenham mm-hmm. aren't, which is really strange. And there's... You know, this is still the Super League thing happening again, isn't it? Where Well, it's mm-hmm. just a way to... for So, say... If I think of Barcelona as an example, they feel like a team that are in a bit of a transit, well, a fairly sizable transition. Oh, yeah, they are. So, and they, there's a genuine possibility for the next four, five, six years that they will not be competing for the title, but will be competing for the fourth Champions League spot yeah. in Spain. Yeah. So it's just a way of those kind of teams who to are doing something like that to guarantee themselves Champions League. Income. Yeah. It's, and it's not really, that's not fair for me. I don't understand that at all. You should get money for being in it, and that's it. Like that should well, be. Yeah. That's the fair, most fair way of doing it. And then there's this new. I don't like this proposed new Champions League idea. The starting next year, I really don't like it. Where the tour- the tournament's bigger, like went many more teams in it, and it's just going to make the group the group stage. It's just going to yeah. make that more elongated and boring. Exactly. Like, which is the bit that nobody likes anyway. The Europa League is like way too long as it is. It's going to have the same kind of structure, and it's like the Champions League works perfectly fine as it is now yeah you now the group stage is the thing that everyone just well, sees again it's just they want another round of fixtures because they can yeah. make more money from it that's what it's all about yeah just... in terms of the salary cap that you mentioned there yeah again a huge difference between american sport particularly again i'm going to use the nfl as the example because that's the league i know best out of the american sport leagues mm. um it's all well and good coming into the premier league and saying right we're going to impose a uh let's just pick a round number, say £100 million a year is the maximum you can spend on wages. So you split that down a week, that's £2 million a week. That's most you can spend. That is all well and good, but that doesn't really level out the playing field because no. there's no way that Norwich could spend £100 million no, over a season on wages if they wanted to. Um, whereas in the NFL, they say, right, the flat, 
calorie salary cap for this season is what 90 million for a season or something like that whatever yeah. it, the number is 190 i think it is actually mm. 180 something it was this year yeah um but that works because they the teams get that 180 million subsidized to them by the league exactly so it's so it's not it's not onto who's got the richest owners that plays yeah. a part because you can as as we you said, yeah, there's ways to cheat the system so that the owner can like pay off a bit of a contract, which means there's more cash salary cap left, and yeah. that money comes out of his personal pocket and stuff like that. But there's the ways to work around it. But every team knows it's got 180 million pounds to spend, and they will go out and spend close to that because it's money given to them by the league through the mm-hmm. money they get from the TV rights and and everything like that. Yeah. Whereas in the Premier League, I don't think there will ever be a situation where that sort of presents itself, where the the league are subsidising the teams to pay yeah. their salaries every week. It's because so, all the money from like the TV money, say, goes to the clubs rather than the league itself. Like yeah. it's all very much shared amongst the clubs, and that yes. should not be how it's done. It should be given to the league, and then the league then distributes it evenly amongst everyone else. Yeah. So then it creates. So like I said, it creates a situation where. All right, you're only allowed to spend 100 million, 100 million quid a season on wages. But like I said, for Norwich, Brentford, whoever else, they're, like never, that, gonna they're not gonna be, anyway. never going to do it no. because they don't. They'd be they making a loss every it. single yeah, season. Exactly. Yeah. So the only way that would work is that if it was imposed low enough, that would it would force. Um, I'm going to use Man City and Chelsea to an example where they have players sat on their bench, um, picking up. 250 300 grand a week mm. where it would f- you have to bring it to a level where it would force those players to go and be the star guy for a team like Leicester or Everton yeah. or Villa mm-hmm. and then that would gradually gradually again over a period of 10 15 years trickle down so where so then in turn the top squad players at Leicester would go and be the star guy at Norwich and and it would gradually and over a period of time, the 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 lower teams would level out. It would again. It would take years for that to sort of see that. But I think that is if that because I don't see them going back to this idea of. But as uh, in terms of salary cap, I think that is the best thing that they can do because, like like we said, the the NFL sort of franchise system doesn't really wouldn't it would take a huge overhaul of, of the yeah. the whole league system because obviously with the nfl as well you have the 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 thing that there's no promotion and relegation like it's the 32 teams mm-hmm. so then how would and it's the same 32 teams every year but if in the for english football tier system how do you negotiate so the teams that get relegated like what happens to their players do they like mm-hmm. automatically yeah it becomes a real mess but at the end of the day, which brings me back round full circle, I'll come to you, Jake. I know you haven't said anything in a while. You're um, just talking about comes, NFL. We've, we've comes, changed the show. Um, it comes full circle back to my original, uh, the original sort of thing about playing games abroad, is that I don't see that any way. I think the top six teams have got the Premier League in their pocket because mm-hmm. they know that the Premier League without them. Well, look at what happened. Yeah, like I said, look what happened with the Super League stuff. Three million quid fine each. You joke. Whilst Derby have just been docked twenty-one points for going mm. to an administration, like the those top six teams know that the Premier League need them. Mm. So I can't foresee a situation where they start restricting what they're doing, um, and that going well. So I think the only way to try and create um a more balanced 
um, playing field is to bring everybody else up, um, mm-hmm. which will make the fees involved even more astronomical. But I don't see them doing it the other way around. So a, a revenue uh, avenue to explore, therefore, is um, them going and hosting games abroad and this idea was put around about a decade ago i think when mm. scudamore was in charge of the premier league and they talked about the 39th game where every team would play a game abroad um and it was obviously shot down i think la liga tried to do it with barcelona a couple of few years ago as well mm-hmm. um but and they were i think the fee what they were looking at was it was going to be five million pounds each for the teams that partook in it and went and played a game of and that and that would number would be much more now mm. so for a team like norwich or watford or burnley or something like that um i think norwich without wanting to take pity up norwich really are the exception because when I mean, you think of all those teams down there like brighton have got a somebody who's pumped 100 millions of pounds into them recently in recent years burnley have just been bought by a chinese guy worth 8 billion pounds like it's norwich are a bit of a a unique situation but if you were to say to Norwich right go and play Manchester United in Norwich have this weird connection with Tampa Tampa Bay in Florida for some reason we've got like a holiday packaged thing going on with them so if they said <laughs> right go and play Manchester United in Florida I will pay you 15 million quid that's two or three players for Norwich the next transfer window yeah like and that's a that's a huge thing for something like that and then we obviously have the thing we have an american striker playing for us right so if we went there and josh Sargent scored against man united in florida you would then sell josh Sargent shirts norwich shirts in the u.s if the same for wolves if they went to go and play in mexico city and jimenez was playing against chelsea and scored a goal you'd sell a absolute ton of wolves jimenez shirts in in mexico like it's if they're not going to bring the top teams down which again as i said because they have such a hold over the league. I can't see them doing. The only way is to drag everybody else up. And I I honestly think it's quite a cool... I, I, think, it's, I think it's a good, a necessarily good idea, but I think it's quite cool. Yeah. I don't know about you, Jay. We'll come to you, Jay. What do you think? Um, so the, the thing for me that I've, I've looked at with the, with the comments about the match abroad and stuff is, is the word meaningful that you said, Nick. So... Is my understanding then, well, your understanding of that, does that mean that, like you said, like 10 years ago, everyone would play a 39th game? Or when they say meaningful, at the does minute, that mean again, the big in, games would be in, over there? In, Ornst- in David Ornstein's piece on The Athletic, at the minute, the only thing they're considering is that they'd create some kind of pre-season tournament. Right. So it's not actually oh, so Premier not League. It's not actually Premier League, but the end game obviously is that yeah. Premier League games would get played think, over abroad. I think the, I the think, problem is to make is it fair. That... I think that it has to be two fixtures abroad because ev- or alternate seasons where because yeah. some game teams would lose a home game from their schedule. Mm. That's it, and I think I don't. Yeah, I think you'd need to really. It can't just be one game or select games like i know you've just said the idea of obviously if you if you send a team to x country and, and a player from that country scores a goal or whatever or or even not you know just any team goes across and, and someone watches that and thinks i like that team that kind of builds that little fan base but truthfully is is anyone and does the premier league more importantly think you know the people in charge of that do they think that burnley playing in dubai is is a is a money making idea 
you know, do they, mm. or are they just looking at it as the Manchester teams, the big six? If we send them abroad for a huge game, that's going to make us some money. And I just think until until we could do it, I, I think it's a good a good cool idea. Like you said, Nick, I think the idea of of this kind of one game a season or two games a season being played in a completely different environment and and opening up to a new audience because you know you look at you look at Premier League matches in the crowd and stuff and there's there's a whole host of different nationalities and yeah. fans in there. I do, yeah. Carry on. I've got a point to make after you. <laughs> so so why you know you, why not open it up and and let that like let that audience see the games over there as well every now and again. But my only worry is. And I think we we've seen this historically that, and this is talking as a team that probably would benefit from it more than other teams. If my fear is is confirmed, is that it would just widen that gap even more. That mm. eventually they would see, or even straight away they would say, that game isn't marketable. We can't we can't do that game over there. It's going to have to be a, a Manchester derby, or maybe not that, but a huge game that goes over there to make us to make it worthwhile to make it, make the money that we want. I yeah. think there's there's no way there's no way that they would do a, a Watford versus Norwich or something. Yeah, yeah, there's no way they'd send that game over to America or China or whatever because it wouldn't be worth it. They, no, they wouldn't know, get the pull. And I'm sure the fans of Burnley and Norwich and whoever else that we mention would admit that that there's no way there's enough of a law to get an international game over there. So I think it's potentially another another risk of just widening that gap even more. Where yeah. they might trial it, and then as long as they show that they've tried it, they can then turn around and say, "Well, look at the results. It's not, it's not viable for us to play all these games over there. Let's just keep it as big fixtures." And then again, it's a, a well, big and then it's extra income for the big teams, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think one argument I always see against it is, well, what about the paying home fans? So, say like Spurs versus Everton went to get played in Tokyo or something. What about the Spurs fans who paid their season ticket? Um, there's two sides to that argument. I think. I think, um, obviously, like, and season tickets are astronomically priced anyway. Then you lower the price of the, of yeah, the exactly. ticket, you just take regardless. The fee of one game after, uh, or you could. I even think if if there if something they actually want to do there, I saw somebody one of the other writers on the Athletic actually put this idea forward, and I thought it'd be quite cool that there's like a ballot system, and the club would use the money that they get for for the fee being hosted in Tokyo, uh, for the Sense game being hosted fans. in Tokyo. And there's a ballot of, of 100, 1,000 tickets and the, the, the club subsidised travel and, and ticket mm. to go and watch mm. it. See, um, that would be class. That would be, be amazing, really cool. to be fair. Yeah. And I also think a lot of people dismiss it out of hand. And this idea that only like the proper fan, the only proper fans are the ones that are in the stadiums every Saturday, every other Saturday. I hate that idea because mm. as a Norwich fan growing up, I couldn't go to every Norwich game. Cause I didn't, I lived three hours away from Norfolk yeah. and then to an even great, even greater extent, there's people who are living in America, Australia, South Africa, wherever, who will be lifelong diehard fans of premier league teams, like especially mm. the big teams that have that sort of global market. And, as me and you again going back to the NFL briefly, Jake, don't worry. Uh, the <laughs> um, me and you, Reese, as fans of um, a team and a sport that is happening not in your time zone, yeah. fandom is not restricted to going to the like to staying up and yeah, staying yeah. up until half past one in the morning <laughs> to watch yeah. your team play is 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 another form of fandom. So I don't mm. think 
people should be so dismissive when they say, no. well, the only fans that matter are the ones buying tickets on a Saturday to go to the actual yeah. games in the stadiums. I think, I think a great a great deal of the, the scepticism towards it and I'll, I'll put I'll put myself out there that I probably, I'm very sceptical about this idea, but for, for probably different reasons to probably a lot of people who, who are instantly dismissive, dismissive of it is probably just, like you said, a little bit of an archaic and, and antiquated view of how football should be in this country and mm. what it means to be an English Premier League team or just an English football team. And without obviously diving too far into that kind of realm, yeah, <laughs> I do think a lot of it comes from similar, let's just say Brexit vibes. I think it's very much a... <laughs> I think it's very much a, no, 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 this is how we do it. We play in our yeah. stadium, our fans yeah. watch it. This is our game. Yeah, yeah. don't don't sell it off to another country and stuff like that. And I think I 100% get that. And I, you know, I'm very much um, quite a traditional person when it comes to football. I love, I love a 4-4-2. I love old-fashioned fullbacks and stuff like that and, and big tackles and things. But I think that the game is entirely different now. And as you said, there's fans all over the world and you have to you have to allow for that and, and kind of respect that and, and appreciate it more than anything. It's not something to be terrified of and, and protective over. I think we should when when the time is right and the method is right, I think we should, you know, open the game up even more. And I think if this idea in an ideal world is right, every team gets one or two fixtures in a different country, you get lots of money for it. Fans all over the world get to see their team, and it is their team if they support it, live in a stadium, and everyone benefits fairly from it, then 100% that's a brilliant idea. Why would you not do it? If, on the other hand, it is my sceptical side, which thinks it's not... It's a, only the marquee fixtures get, yeah, end up getting played abroad. Then yeah. absolutely fair enough. That's that's where the scepticism should come from, is that are we going to are, are a smaller team going to benefit as much as a, a Manchester side or one of the big London sides? or Liverpool, whatever, that's where the scepticism should come from in the fact that do we trust the people in charge to actually make it a fair system? That answer mm. is probably no. No, no. yeah. Because like I think... said, the big six have got the league in, their, in the palm mm-hmm. of their hand. Do you think there's a, a method? And I, I just had a thought there when you were talking, Jake. Do you remember a couple of years ago they had that proposed winter break idea where it wasn't mm. a break, it was just... Uh, limited round of fixtures for two weeks where like week one had five games the second week had five games and so like each team had a week yeah, off in the middle a week, of the season like a bye week yeah yeah would could that potentially work as an idea where we do that kind of a two-week spell in the middle of the season say kind of in february or something where one week you have 10 games all over the world kind of mm. on you know a bit like treat it like a saturday three week kickoff but it's yeah one in tokyo one in australia one yeah. in america and then those teams that have a week off to kind of recover from the jet lag, and the next week is when the second round of mm. um, teams and, yeah, have and their and they're maybe European based ones because they'd obviously yeah. they'd go into kicking back into yes. their domestic ones. So yeah, exactly. you go to all far flung places of the country in that first week. Yeah, they get an extra week to recover, yeah. and then the following week they go to it's Paris, like Rome, and, yeah, Madrid, yeah, yeah. wherever. Yeah, and I then everyone they're... comes back in. I think I think there's potential to that idea. Like I think it's like a, a two-week like event, you know. If we were in charge of doing it, then I think it'd be fine. <laughs> but it's, it's sadly not. And I think, like I know you were talking about wage caps and stuff, 
I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it would need to be a. There's no point saying to you know twenty teams, six, seven, eight of which can spend X amount, and the other mm. ten who can spend nowhere near that, no matter what you do. There's no point saying to those smaller teams, right? Don't spend more than a hundred million because then they're just gonna be like, well, we never. Well, do we never would anyway. anyway. We never done. Yeah. <laughs> and if you limit the big teams, yeah, that will that will restrict them a little bit, but they're still gonna be probably double what the other yeah. teams can do anyway. I think. You know, we've seen it with financial fair play. That does that do anything? I've, no. You know, I've I've heard of all the team, all the big teams have broken those rules, and they still they haven't lost any points. They just pay a fine, which comes out of the owner's pocket, so it yeah. doesn't affect which, it. it doesn't the fact that they're breaking financial fair play anyway means that they can afford a fine. So, yeah, what what's the point? It, you know, it, it's absolutely ridiculous to. I'm sure to I think read about the that is the rumours that even this fine might even be null and void. I'm sure I read that. So it's like that. a it's like a suspended prison sentence. It's yeah, like, that kind of thing. It's like, well, all right, we'll fine you if you do it again. Like, yeah, type don't disband like... to do form another league in the next five years. We won't we won't find you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what a specific punishment that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't think, like you said, I don't think they'd ever bring that in. I wish they would, and I wish they'd bring it in as a, again, if it's done right, I think it'd be a brilliant idea to, mm. to level the playing field, but again, I don't think that would I think I just it think the wrong way. it would have, to, the number would have to be so small, so it mm. would force City you'd to You'd have to pick, you'd to have to sell. pick the smallest team, wouldn't it's, you? It's, and say, right, that's the cap, whatever they're at. Well, you just find like a league, av- I think a league average, I yeah, so, average. So, so, so you yeah. send someone like, uh, again, just looking at the Premier League table here, um, I say Arsenal. Say that Arsenal and Spurs are tenth and eleventh. Southampton, Christ. yeah. So somebody like, like Southampton and say, right, what do you spend a season on 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 wages? Right, we'll do that, but we'll add ten million to it or something like that to mm. allow for yeah, because the bigger players. But you have to bring it down so much that essentially the big teams and the problem is then you have the European competitions because if you do that in the Premier League then that's going to restrict City against the, the Bayern League Munich who can, yeah. go, who can go and do whatever but if you say to them right this is the number and force them to say right we can only afford six or seven like star players mm. and each team is like that so City can only do that Chelsea can only do that Spurs Arsenal Liverpool and then that forces those really, really good squad players who are picking up two hundred grand a week mm. on the bench of those bit to go and then, like I said, be the star guys. It also teams down. in that same vein, it'd also be really good. You know, we see it all the time, and, and we probably don't talk about it much, really. But we see like <clears throat> Chelsea, City, etc., signing any good young player, any good Championship prospect, stuff like that, and yeah. then just letting them rot and not really do anything. I know. Chelsea have done it in the past with English players. We they like Barclay, drink I know Drinkwater wasn't amazing, but he was, you know, he was shining at Leicester. They will sign anyone who looks remotely good and if they don't make it, they don't make it. And it'd be Ains really good Liverpool. to see. Yeah. It'd be really I always think it and it's frustrating because obviously they're gonna go to the big club where the money is and the chance that it might go perfectly and they get a, a really good mm-hmm. run in the team. But I'd love to see in the past players like that not even really having the, you know where Chelsea turn around and say actually we can't we can't afford to bring that player in you have to find a different it would, team because it would mean losing X Y Z exactly, players yeah. yeah yeah so it would mean that all these prospects from from the Championship and young players breaking through at, at mid teams in the Premier League actually think Joe you know I'm going to stay at this team or I'm going to join 
you know, if they're in the Championship, I'm going to join a, a slightly smaller team in the Premier League. I'm going to play every week. I'm going to get a decent wage, and I'm going to ignore the advances of the big six because I'm not going to get played. And they, and then they would turn around and say, "Well, we can't afford you anyway." So that again would level the playing field in that we get all these prospects coming through and actually getting a chance to to play football instead of what we're seeing now, where they go to Germany basically to Dortmund and. Um, and shine over there, which is fantastic for them. But we want as many of those players in the Premier League as possible as well. So. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's obviously it's a really complicated situation. But I do think changes afoot because, like mm. you said right at the beginning, Reese, the numbers that we're talking about now are just astronomical. Like you can't even comp, like you can't even comprehend numbers that big no. when you talk about what do these we, players. Do are we really think that? Big. Really, I mean that's that's a that's a widespread problem, isn't it? You know, and you said the, the Champions League ties would be unfair and stuff like that. Does and this is very unrealistic that this would ever probably happen. But is a, a blanket salary cap and change in, in structure and everything probably the best bet? Where you know we look at Barca and Inter, for example, who this summer came out and said they're fucked basically they need yeah. to get rid of everyone <laughs> like they couldn't even register their new signings because they were yeah. over the over the over the spending limit it's, it's clearly not just a, a premier league problem it's a it's a well i don't know about outside of europe but it's a european football problem and yeah. and like you say for the champions league to remain a, a competitive tournament you would have to yeah, there's no way. There's no way you could say to. Like, there's no way you could say to Man City, you're only allowed to pay eighty million quid, a hundred million quid a season on wages, whilst Bayern mm. are spending two hundred and fifty. Like it would have to be the, widespread and, and blanketed, I think, for it to to be a. Again, this is true. us speaking in ideal terms that right, everyone's on a level playing field, but <clears throat> we know that. I mean, we know what Real Madrid and Barcelona are like for a start. Um, the Real Madrid president is he the president? Yeah, Perez, who's, Perez, yeah. who's very, very keen to to do the Super League and very protective of Real Madrid's finances. Then, it's all nonsense anyway, but... though, because he, you know, oh, Real Madrid can't afford to do this, so we need to do a Super League, but then spent yeah. was willing to spend £120 million on Mbappe. Like, yeah. it's <laughs> absolute nonsense going on behind the scenes of that. Yeah, but... it's stupid. So I, th- yeah. I think, ideally, we just we break everything down and almost start again in that respect and, and put the restrictions in place for everyone and, and see if that stabilises it, which I think it would. I think you see a lot less, obviously, these huge transfer fees this summer um, that have been bandied around and the, the kind of wage it's a whole, for players yeah. and stuff. It's it a whole new conversation, but I think we've seen it recently. Aaron Ramsey kind of started the train mm. where I think we could be... and. If you look at Mbappe's contracts coming out this running out this season, and Aguero did it last season, mm-hmm. I think we could be looking towards a shift in. It's a whole different conversation. We could be here for another hour, but let's, let's do this one next week. This always interesting. <laughs> where transfer th- mega transfer fees might become a thing of the past naturally anyway, mm. because mm. People like people looked out. at Aaron Ramsey and thought Aaron Ramsey's a good player. But Juventus are paying him four hundred grand a week, and they're able to do that because they didn't have to spend any money on acquiring him. Mm-hmm. So they can offset that cost that they didn't have to pay and say, I mean, "Oh yeah, we'd, we'd, yeah, we'd have had nice, yeah, we'd have had to we'd have had to pay you pay fifty million for you, so we can only pay you two hundred grand a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because we didn't have to pay you that fifty million, we can double your wage." And yeah. Mbappe's letting his contract run down at 
PSG, Messi, Donnarumma, Messi, Ramos, yes, Ramos. Ramos yeah. they've all done the same. So I wonder yeah. if that is going to become indicative of the of the window and how that would change things. Maybe, because like, yeah, that's what you yeah. need is like a, a market reset, isn't it? Because mm. people are realizing what the trend is. Like it's happening on a smaller scale. Like Rudiger at the minute, it's either he's going to sign a new contract or he's going to go somewhere on a free this summer. And it's you know that is a regular thing now. And I think and then, the market needs. Would you then see players signing? shorter contracts so maybe like one mm. two or three years mm. but for more money yeah, yeah. Uh, but then then, yeah. then how but then how do you impose a wage cap on that if they're it's exactly. it's a mess yeah, it's complete nonsense, yeah. but it is a different kettle of fish to look at that's, that's an interesting one definitely. my my last point on this because we've spoken about this for what but for people that ask I, th- I think we're all in agreement that in a realist in an ideal world it would be a good mm. and cool idea but whether that in a realistic world it is might not be way. Uh, but to fans who are sceptical of it, my question to them and say that, well, it's an English game, it needs to be played in England, not like what do people in New York care about Liverpool versus Everton, uh, not Everton, but Liverpool versus Spurs, they don't care about it as much as we do. To them, I would say, you're telling me that if they came and said, right, we're going to play the El Clasico at Wembley, that yeah. you wouldn't be interested oh, exactly. in going to watch yeah, the yeah, El yeah. Clasico at Wembley. Like, obviously yeah. you would be. Football um, isn't exclusive. We don't watch just one game a weekend. No, you know what I mean we we watch all of them, and and I always would do. We watch, you know, the European Championships and World Cup, and we mm. we don't just watch the England match. We we love watching football in general. And even if- <laughs> Beth, I had this conversation with Beth this weekend. Uh, I can't. What was the early kick? Uh, late kickoff on Saturday. Brentford Liverpool. That was Brentford Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah, and she was like. I put it on the TV and she said, why do you care about this game? I was like, I don't really, apart from to do the podcast, but I just want to watch it because I'm interested. And sport, I think people who don't follow sport, look, a a rounding off subject about how good sport and football is. People who don't watch sport don't understand that it's not Mm. just the game day. That is, mm. it's not just the mat. It every single it's like particularly last mention of the NFL, Reese and Jake. <laughs> the NFL is like a, it's like a soap opera. It is like yeah. every single day there is a piece of breaking news that a fan of every single thirty-two teams goes, "What the?" and like flips mm. tables and like it, yeah. and like every single day that happens. So it's like it's like a soap opera. It's like it's like storylines, aren't they? Oh, you follow yeah. and and, and they so get paid is, off in the games, yeah. and it, it's mad. Can you it imagine is, just just watching? Watching, well, especially unique. Can you imagine just watching the Norwich games all season and not having a clue what else is going on and not being bothered? Like, no, exactly. That's you have to watch it in context. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why we do kind of this show because we like talking about mm. everything else around football and we like previewing it and trying to predict it. And you know, oh, this team has got to recover and bounce back. And it's just mm. that. But then that adds into the politics of Harry Kane over the summer and all stuff. Like, yeah, that's and the narr- makes football and the, so yeah, and the narratives, like you said, Jake, that then play out on a game day. Exactly. It's like everybody's questioning Harry Kane now and whether his yeah. heart's mm-hmm. in it at Spurs and whether Spurs should have cashed in. Yeah. And now everybody's eyes, not just Spurs fans, but around the world, are going to be looking at Harry Kane and saying, right, what are you about? And like, mm-hmm. it's, it's that whole, oh, I love it. Yeah, and that's, and I think people who don't like sport and watch sport without being too dismissive is is because they think it is just oh you watch eleven men running around on a field Kicking like why ball, are you so yeah. invested in that like but it is the the storyline the wider circle you do. It's a, you yeah it's a year long well not even a year it's a it's a decades long process of, of mm. it all like we still watch football and talk about football now 
in the context of what that team was doing 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then it's the same for England. When when England play, it's not just about this tournament's here this summer. It's about all the other tournaments that we've been heartbroken in every every mm-hmm. two years, building up to this moment. And can it be different again and stuff like that? And yeah. yeah it's more Spoiler more alert, no, it can't. <laughs> it always ends in tears. Oh, no, no, no. Um, good. So we've put the footballing world to, world to rights there. Um, every week, mate. Every week, every week. Uh, we will take a short break um, for you, uh, for you, the listeners, and we'll be back to discuss our game previews of game week seven. We'll see you in a second. So, predictions for game week seven. The weekend's uh, action starts at Old Trafford uh, on a Saturday lunchtime kickoff, just as it did last week, as Man United host Everton. Um, uh, this is, I was saying to you, Reese, before we started, this is a really, really interesting game. Um, firstly, because I always like fix- this. There's a few fixtures throughout the season, but this one particularly feels to me, Man United Everton, always feels to me like proper Barclays. Like it's like a proper <laughs> historical fixture mm. um, that I don't know. I Because th- I think they have like, obviously the connection that they both hate Liverpool and, and that Everton and Man United historically have always like transferred players between each other. I think a Rooney is an obvious example. Uh, yeah, Fellaini. Phil yeah. never went the other way. Like, um, it, they kind of have this connection between them, but this one feels always feels to me like a traditional fixture. But this year, it's a really interesting barometer, I think, for both teams as to where they actually stand. Uh, as we're recording this at the minute, United are about to kick off against Villarreal at some point very soon. Um, so we'll see how they do in that. But domestically, they're on a dodgy run at the mm. minute, United. They lost to Villa, obviously, last week. And uh, they were beaten by West Ham in the Cup in midweek before that. The midweek before that, they lost to Young Boys away in the Champions League. Um, so, and... I hate to say it, Man United, but there's already murmurings about Ollie's job security, um, which, which is weird. Considering is that they it are, weird, though? it's not because I don't rate Ollie Solskjaer at all. However, they are still joint second in the league with 13 yeah. points. Like, yeah, they're not a bad like, run, but it's not disastrous at this point. I think it's also the nature of the defeats as well. Mm. It's it's. Um, like they were pretty tepid against Villa. Um, they were, and I know it's backups against West Ham in the cup, but to lose at home to West Ham in the cup as well is not good enough for a team like United. I think as well with the investment, these investments they've made this summer with Varane, Sancho, and obviously Ronaldo is the main sort of big three guys they've brought in. Um, there is that brings with it added pressure, and I think United fans. Are a bit are a bit fearful because the question about Oli has always been consistency with his Man United team. Um, it's he's the definition of like peaks and troughs as a manager at United. They'll have a, a spell of two months where they look like world beaters, and then they'll have a month where they look like they can't scrape a goal or a point together. Um, so I think United fans were hoping that that element of the Solskjaer. Uh, leadership the time he's been manager was kind of a thing of the past but it looks like it's starting to rear its ugly head again um for Everton um I was aboard the Benitez hype train Reese you pumped the brakes 
probably rightly so when you consider who they played so far mm-hmm. um they played norwich last weekend and whilst they won two nil the second goal was a stupid mistake by a norwich player and the first goal was a penalty so and without without trying to make excuses for norwich too much I think on another day they could have got something from that game. They had a spell ten minutes before half time and sort of twenty before Everton scored their second goal. Essentially, where Norwich looked like the team most likely to score. So I didn't watch Everton and think this is a good football team. I thought, blimey, Norwich can get something here, which at the minute is saying something. <laughs> um, so there's a real. This is a real question for Everton as well, if they can establish themselves as like, right, we are here and we are serious this year. Um, Prediction-wise, though, United at home against Everton, provided they make it through this game against Villarreal tonight without any major injuries or something, I think they'll probably have... I say what I saw from Everton last week wasn't I wasn't impressed by. And I think United will have too much for them, so I'm going for a 2-1 Man United victory. I'm Bruce. not sure about this one. I think... I was just curious what the kind of recent history was, and I looked up their head-to-head, and Man U haven't lost in, in the last six against um, Everton, but then the last Everton win was when Everton won 4-0 a couple of years ago, so mm. it's up in the air, this one, but I think Everton are in good form. I know they lost to Villa the other week quite badly, but I think Everton are, they're at least grinding out wins and man used that was a weird that was a weird like that was that bait the bailey game yeah where there was just a 20 crazy 20 it minutes was. and the game just got away from them exactly yeah. um so whether you know that is a real indication of what i have to like i'm not sure yet but like you said i think is this is a good test for them i don't think they are long term going to be there but i think man you the way they are currently their com- their confidence is absolutely shot i think everton might sneak it but I'm going to go for a one-all draw. Let's one keep it draw. neutral. One-all draw. Same, same as me. But one-all. One yeah. yeah, I think um, very similar to you, Reese. there. I think Everton, despite not impressing you, Nick, I think they are still getting those results. Oh, um, don't get me wrong. They're very solid. Mm. Um, and they, look, they, absolutely... they look pretty confident as well. Yeah, I they think. just like the first half against Burnley is something that springs to mind because it's something I watched live mm. on Monday Night Football. They were awful, mm. and it, it took it took a tactical reshuffle and stuff. And the second half they played really well, but mm. they don't, as is shown by like their possession statistics and stuff like there and pass like they're the bottom three for all that kind of stuff in the league. Um, so they, I feel like they don't really impose themselves on teams. No. They just do what they need to to get the result, which is fair enough because it's a results yeah, yeah. business. It's but working. I, I haven't I think watched Everton I think they've so got far. Enough. I think, wow. They've got enough up top at the minute, even without Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, you know, Townsend and, and mm. Gray in particular are, are really impressing. They've got, they have got a very, in fact, Decore the whole midfield well. is pretty nice. Mm. Like, uh, Decorey and um, an ally in the middle mm. hold it and, and make it difficult for teams and the two flair players on either side getting forward and, and providing goals so I think they will make it really difficult for Man U I think Benitez is obviously a very good tactician Man United are going to be a bit shaky it, it does depend very much what happens tonight if they get a decent result tonight then I'm sure they'll be it could be a different matter but I think you know I think the Old Trafford crowd as well I know you've you've mentioned it as a as maybe a positive, I think that could be a, a negative. Mm, and I think Everton yeah. will probably see it that way as well, that if they can get Pressure. under their skin and make it difficult, yeah. then the crowd will turn 
quite quickly. Yep. So I think, especially having one, one. lost to Villa last weekend as well. Yeah. If it, if they go, if United go behind at home for a second week in a row, yeah, against yeah, a team you'd expect yeah. them to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. they will. Uh, before we move on to three o'clock kickoffs, I should give uh, you two and the listeners the weekly score update on how we're all doing prediction wise. Mm. Um, it's a very very close affair at the minute. In joint second place is Reese and myself on 34 points. Uh, and Jake, you are ahead on 35 wow. points. Oh, wow. It's... So it's literally all to play for. Wait, last are we week as was... shit or as good as each other? That's last week question. was an absolute disaster. Reese, you only got two points <laughs> last week. I got three. Jake did really well last week. Jake got about eight or eight, seven or oh, eight. Really? I think. But me, oh, wow. me and you, me, you got two perfect scores, I think, Jake. Well, but nice. me, and, me and Reese were a shambles last week. <laughs> Fair enough. It was a bit like, as you're, about, as you're about to talk about, yeah, as you're about to mention in uh, fantasy later, Reese. it was a weird, it was, yeah, a, weird, weird it was a weird for, week. So, yeah, let us off. Uh, but the first of the Saturday three o'clock kickoffs, um, Spurs are hosting Villa. Reese. Mm. what are we looking out for here? Yeah. yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, obviously, Villa are going to be riding high from beating um, Man U. Um, however, they're a bit their form is a bit up and down at the minute. Like they obviously beat Man U, but then they lost to Chelsea in the cup. They beat Everton, lost Chelsea in the league, drew at Brentford. Like they're a little bit here, there and everywhere. However, I think in both the Chelsea and the um, United game last week, Villa showed that they have a very good kind of tactical way of approaching these kind of games against the quote unquote bigger clubs. Um, And I think Dean Smith will have his team set up ready for whatever Tottenham have set up for them because at the minute I don't know what Tottenham's game plan is in any game like Tottenham against Arsenal looked particularly shoddy like nobody yeah nobody watching that game could have said anything positive about them because top to bottom defensively they were completely shaky going forward they didn't offer anything Harry Kane again had a really poor game and it was just a proper what's the word for it a thing of fire um just Whatever. Just a melting pot of disaster <laughs> for Tottenham. <laughs> That's how I feel. He's just a whatever. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was really bad. And I think Tottenham, they'll be at home and they'll want to kind of try to make amends of their last home game, which is when they got smashed by Chelsea. You know, the Tottenham faithful um, are already on Nuno's case. And Nuno is... There are already conversations being like, Nuno's poem is, is a disaster. Mm-hmm. And it's, I saw the word nightmare banded around the place as well. And it's... You know, the fir- the confidence of the first three weeks when you win three games in a row has just mm. evaporated very quickly. Overnight, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's you're not sure where Tottenham can go to kind of turn this run around. And this is the kind of game that in, normally they would have to win because they're kind of, top, Villa are probably just behind Tottenham in terms of overall kind of league position where they should be. But Villa on current form are playing much better than them. Um, and I think Tottenham looking at this game, they've got a pretty solid run of games coming up like they've got Newcastle, West Ham, Burnley before they play Man U yeah. and those are games that you can see them all winning maybe West Ham will be the tricky game but yeah, you can see points there but I think this game is one that Tottenham will see as we've got to get back on track here Um, but I don't think they will so I'm going to go for I think Villa are solid defensively I'm going to go for a 1-0 Aston Villa win again Maurice I'm going to join you in an away win I'm going 2-1 uh... I hope you're both wrong. <laughs> uh, it's just, obviously, Jake will come to you in a minute, but the Nuno appointment, as much as 
in our episode with Reese Max, I was buying stock in Nuno um, <laughs> off the back of their unbeaten start. But it already, again, when you go off the rumours that are circulating around, it feels his appointment feels indicative of um, what the what the plan was in the summer. It was we can't get Conte. Good lord, what are, what are we gonna do now? Like it didn't mm. feel like there was a legitimate backup plan because you rifled through. I think it was like four or five names were mm. allegedly linked yeah. to Spurs at one point or another, um, and they landed on Nuno. Um, and th- there was reports today. I think I read in the Athletic that some senior Spurs players have already gone to the higher ups at the club and voiced their um displeasure with his man management. Yeah. yeah, with how things are going. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what kind of performance the players put in on on Saturday. Mm. Um, these kind of things where it comes to a head like this, and the players can not obviously, but also quite obviously, down tools, um, <laughs> and throw the manager under the bus because they know like the club will be quicker to fire the manager than it will be to send to sell five or six players. So, yep. um. If that's the kind of performance, it'd be interesting to see because if that's the kind of performance Spurs players put in again, I think that could be curtains. I think there's a lot of Spurs, Jake, Jake, you can confirm there's a lot of Spurs fans were saying that Spurs' performance last weekend was a sacral offence in itself. Mm. Um, I think something akin to that, even 50% of that again oh, this, yeah. this weekend, Anywhere would, near that, it'd be... would be pretty catastrophic. I'd, I'd for be very surprised um so i'm gonna just like i said i'm gonna join reese and go for a 2-1 villa victory and and maybe the winds of change begin blowing mm. at the tottenham hotness state hotness stadium mm. i'm gonna i'll not dive into how depressed i am at last weekend obviously that was <laughs> horrific um the way the way we set well the way we didn't settle there was nothing there was no apparent game plan or tactic or or energy or anything from the team no. and, and the management obviously is responsible for a large part of that the the one stat that is particularly pissing me off more than anything is is the distance covered by the team which is the lowest in the league mm-hmm. and i think no matter how your manager sets you up no matter what the game plan is you know that you go onto a football pitch and you fucking move like that's the the one <laughs> thing that you should just do yourself really obviously yeah. the manager might say you know don't wander too much don't don't roam or anything but you have to move you have to put in the miles and, and mm. the the effort for that and that's the one thing that i wouldn't point at nuno for i think as well it's but when you think of spurs and pochettino like three years ago they probably mm. ran the most in oh, the yeah, league. They, did. they were they did. so hard working and yeah. to see See, see that opposite sort of, of that now is... opposite of that, and it's weird as well because I don't associate Nuno's um, Wolves team with being no, no. In, like lack That's of what I mean. yeah, hard yeah, yeah. work. No, Nuno's, Nuno's team at Wolves was always hard work and always mm-hmm. the one thing that they probably had more than anything was that they were in your face and they were they were covering bases and making life a misery because they were just there all the time and didn't stop running. You think of like Adama Traore, for example, who I don't rate that much, but he's a runner at least. You know what yeah. I mean? And, that seems and to disappear from the as game. As well, considering is... like you know the modern game is so built on pressing, you know, like high Man pressing, City, Liverpool, yeah. Chelsea have that kind of high press baked into their systems that you've got to run hard. Leeds last year they did well because they ran all day every day. Mm. Like it's part of the game now that you've got to challenge for everything. And there were times when 
yesterday uh, on the weekend, Arsenal had the ball and Spurs were just shifting left and right, yeah. not pressing anyone. And you're thinking, you're like, letting Arsenal um, have all day here. This is just baffling. They, they set up and moved around like a table football team. Like, mm. not even <laughs> as organised as that, in fact. You know, it was it was horrible. But anyway, um, I, did, I, I saw, I was speaking to my friend and I thought the Arsenal game was obviously crucial every year, but particularly so this year with the with the tides turning and Arsenal starting to win and us starting to lose. I, I felt that we really, really, really needed to, to put a signal out there that we could put a stop to that and, and win that game. That didn't happen. I think, like you said, Reese, I think this one is is arguably just as crucial now that if we lose against Villa, I think that would be a, a monumental disaster that we're not just on a bad run. This is a horrific run that needs, you know, it's it's a rot, really. There's also there's within... nothing worse for for a big team to go into a two week break on a loss. Yeah, like, exactly. you're festering on that for a long time, and you'll be festering in the Arsenal game anyway. But yeah. to go in off the back of losing to Arsenal if, and then maybe can, to Villa, like if we can pull off a result against Villa, then like you say, you go into that break and you think, okay, we stopped the rot, we're back on. Back We've on got board. something to build upon there, exactly. Yeah. If we lose that, then I think, yeah, I think international windows are a perfect time to probably get rid of a manager because you, you've got that time <laughs> to settle someone new in. The fans aren't happy. Nuno's not particularly happy from what I've seen. The players clearly aren't happy. The board are scared. I think, I think that could happen. But I'm going to stay positive. I think at home, I think the players do have enough in their locker to realise and snap out of it and know they have to pull something out of the bag and, and get a result and a performance, I think we'll get a 2-1 win. Okay. Next of the three o'clock kickoffs, Chelsea are hosting Southampton. Jake, what are we looking at mm. here? Um, obviously, well, a bit of mixed fortunes in, in the last, um, last weekend. Prior to last weekend, you'd have thought Chelsea are going to absolutely steamroll Southampton. Um, but Southampton are looking fairly solid defensively in general. Um, they've been they've been pretty well organised, which is surprising because they've you know, they've lost a lot of key players, and in the past they've been a team to ship a lot of goals, and I mean a lot. Um, but that seems to have been resolved by and large. Uh, last year they did they did make it difficult for Chelsea as well. There was two draws last season uh, mm. in this fixture, mm. and obviously Chelsea are on the back of a defeat against City, but. I think similar to Spurs, I think Chelsea will see this as a massive opportunity to come out firing and ensure that that was a, a blip um, and that they are the title contenders that we think they are. Historically, they've got the edge, you know, apart from last season, they've, they've always been pretty much on top against Southampton. Um, I think we will see a Chelsea win. I think we'll see an instant return to form. I think it will be too... 2-0, potential for more, but I'm going to say 2-0. For the exact same reasons as you, Jake, I'm going for a 3-0. I think mm. this is just a return to form fixture for Chelsea, like you said. Out to prove something, to, to prove that last week was a... They're just a one-off. They got out outthought by City on the day, um, and they'll want to put put a fair few goals to uh, add weight to that, uh, to that as well. So, 3-0 to Chelsea. Uh, Reese. What are you thinking about your boys? Yeah, I think I think this is a, a quite a good fixture to have after playing Man City, um, and the Man City game bothered me just because for the first hour, I a bit like the Spurs game for you, Jake. I didn't understand what Chelsea's plan mm. was. 
it was one of those things where we had, you know, a 3-5-2 rather than the regular 3-4-3. And you had Werner and Lukaku up top. And it felt like if we ever had the ball, which was quite rare in the first half, we did not know what to do with it. We were really missing that link between defence and attack that someone like Mount or Havertz provided. Um, and we need that kind of attacking midfielder to make, to bridge the gap between the defence and attack because Kovacic, as good as he's been this season, at times he does not know what to do going forward. He's very good at moving the ball and making sure of retaining possession, but he's not the most progressive midfielder at times. And I think we missed that last week against Man City. But then we showed, you know, when we went 1-0 down, suddenly we started playing again. We started attacking and we started creating chances and we scored an offside goal, which was obviously miles offside, but it was at least showing that we could create something. Mm. And that was, I was baffled as to why it took us an hour to get to that point. Because once Man, U- Man City have got a lead, they almost never, ever relinquish it. So it was just a strange one. I think Tuchel also realised that he set it up wrong. I think he, he made the wrong team selections because he had players who were not fully fit because some were ill. You know, Jorginho was a bit ill or something. Rhys James had just off, cut off the back of playing against Villa in the Cup and then he got injured himself in the game. And it was just, it wasn't as assured performances we've seen from Chelsea this year even in, in the games they've played poorly in you know they have looked confident in defense and they just didn't seem as together as you'd expect uh, but I think that's probably just down to the fact that you know Pep had lost to lost to Tuchel three times mm. and I think he really saw this game as I've got to fucking beat Thomas Tuchel it. <laughs> like yeah. he was not gonna let a manager have a four game win streak over him. He I also I part I partly think that the way City have sort of maybe faltered to an extent so far this season is because Pep had all his eyes on this one. Was, yeah, he's been yeah. planning for that he'd been planning for that fixture for he weeks. Was, yeah, he needed revenge <laughs> for the Champions League final because Yeah. yeah. The, my brother said this um the other day. He said that the fact that Guardiola did not play Rodri or um, Fernandinho in the Champions League final is one of the most insane managerial decisions he's ever <laughs> seen in like a major game. And I agree, because you saw the impact that Rodri has on that Man City mm. side. He's just such a calming, authoritative, like Sergio Busquets-like quality to that player that yeah. he offers to Man City. And he, you know, he, is, he should be the anchor of that team for the next X amount of years. He's just brilliant. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful, like you, I, th- I think... Chelsea have enough to get past Southampton. I know the Southampton had a good result against City, but I think City did have that difference if they didn't have a striker, you know. Whereas Chelsea have got Lukaku, who makes you know a living off scoring against the quote-unquote smaller teams. You know that's where yeah. he scored all of his goals over his career. So I'm also hopeful that we can get something from this one. I'm going to go for a bit like you, Jake. I think it was. I'm going to go for a two-nil Chelsea win. Back okay. to form. Back to form. Um, Wolves are hosting Newcastle in the next of the Saturday three o'clock kickoffs. Um, firstly, it was great to see how Jimenez score um, mm. at the weekend after his injury layoff. Very good goal. Um, yeah, Jimenez. and he, obviously there was doubts whether he'd ever play football again. And head injuries are always um, a bit sort of um, when it comes to head injuries that it's always that sort of debate of whether whether they should play again and, and stuff like that. If you think of somebody like Ryan Mason, um, who had to retire early from a head injury. Um but it was great to see him back and it was a good performance from Wolves. It, it they didn't dominate Southampton or anything like that, uh in in their win last weekend, but as a solid performance, there are indications again of them just absolutely 
shitting the bed when they got into the last 20 yards of the, <laughs> of, the of the pitch and got in Southampton's area but that was they needed that kind of performance after the they got out fought out thought out muscled out played by Brentford the week before so um that was a good bounce back win for Wolves and now they're host they're at home to a Newcastle team which I still remain wholly unconvinced by uh they managed to get a point against Watford they did get am I imagining that Watford did score, but they got disallowed, didn't it? Yeah, um, they got a point against Watford last weekend, and yeah, I, 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 I'm still picking Newcastle to to fill one of the bottom three places come the end of the season, and I haven't seen anything um, that would, has changed my mind on that yet. Um, so I'm going to go for a Wolves win here. Um, I'm going to go for two one to Wolves. Jake, what are you going for? Uh, I really hope Newcastle do get relegated. I hope you're right. Um, <laughs> I, I just can't stand thinking about it, never mind watching them. But um, I do think this will be. I, I have one of these fixtures every week that I say will be, be a bit of a, a dour affair and not very fun to watch. This is my pick for this week. I think although Wolves look like they're improving every week and they've they've got um, you know they're hitting some momentum. I don't think they'll lose this one, but I don't think I don't think anywhere on the pitch there's enough of a creative and goal threat from anyone. I know there's players that can score sat maximum it's good and Jimenez obviously as well, but I think this is gonna be a nil nil. <laughs> you always got to get your weekly nil nil in. <laughs> yeah, there's always one. There's gotta be one. This is the one this week. Um and Reese, what are you going for here? Mm, I I'm not as confident in Wolves at the minute. I think Wolves are so up and down, hit and miss. You just never know what side you're going to get. You know, they beat Southampton, but then lost to Spurs, where they even scored twice, which was rare for them. They lost to Brentford quite embarrassingly, beat Wall, beat Watford, lost to, you know, Man U. Like, they're just, they're here, they're everywhere. And I I think this is going to be Newcastle's first win of the season. I think, yeah, because, well, they, they've drawn like two in a row, I think, Newcastle have. So they've shown a bit of fight in some of their games. So I think I'm going to go. 2-1 to Newcastle, I think. Fair yeah. enough. Two We've got all Newcastle. bases covered then. Mm. That one. Yeah. Somebody's going to be right. <laughs> um, <laughs> the next of the three o'clock Saturday kickoffs. Oh, God. Here we go. Uh, Burnley are hosting my boys, Norwich City. Um, going into the international break with zero points on the board would be the second international break of the season <laughs> with zero points on the board would be oh it would be awful um norwich tried out a new system against everton and there was there was almost a little bit of hope and sort of light at the end of the tunnel that maybe they found something there they changed to a 352 and played um, Hanley, Gibson and Ozan Kabak as your back three and then they had Brandon Williams and Aarons then a mid- on as your wing backs midfield three with Sargent and Pukki up top um, there were moments in that game where Norwich looked like they belonged in the Premier League it didn't <laughs> last for the whole 90 minutes hence why they lost 2-0 um, but they created some good chances they looked more composed on the ball um, they were shifting through gears and and, uh, and possessions and phases of play throughout or going up the pitch but much more smoothly than they have done previously um i i just think when i when i look at brent how brentford played against liverpool 
um, last weekend. Norwich are just so lacking in any form of confidence whatsoever. Um, and there's an argument as as competent almost as they looked against Everton last week that they need to just go back to what they were good at in the championship because that's what Brentford are doing um, mm. and go back to a 4-2-3-1 which is something that Farker has always played since he's, that's always been his preferred thing Cantwell's missed the last couple of games because of a personal um, issue um, which hasn't been disclosed as to what that is mm. uh, but the, the, the we've either played a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-5-2 uh, this season and the four three three doesn't work flat out, um, but we haven't got the personnel for that. Um, so, for the for the sake of just trying to get something and 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 do something that we know, and 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 try to build some kind of momentum. I this weekend against Burnley, who are not going to play like f- free flowing football through your midfield. Just go back to a four two three one get a Cantwell or somebody like Sergeant. Sergeant looks um he looks he works really hard and his link up play is very good, but he doesn't look like a natural out and out goal scorer. So I think having him in that ten role, yeah. uh, Norwich lost a player called Marco Steveman this summer, um, who in our first championship winning season was so crucial to getting Pookie uh the amount of goals he did. And they've very, very similar uh, build-wise. Um, I feel like Sar- they've signed Sargent because he looks like a, a, a slightly better version of Steepman in that <laughs> regard. And Pookie's something they need, somebody they need to get the best out of clearly because he's the only person who's looks like scoring at the minute. Um, and so, and like I said before, he relies on through balls from from the people in behind him and having that three behind him rather than him being part of a two or uh, being up top on his own with two wide players. Like I think that suits his game much more. Um, and we need to get the best out of Pookie if we're going to win. We obviously travel to Turf Moor where um, Burnley are, are in dire streets of their own, really. They're obviously better off than Norwich because they've got some points on the board. But uh, I think they're now 15 Premier League games without a win. Um, so I said to you guys earlier in the week, this is a classic along came Norwich. Um, we kick-started Arsenal's season. Um, we're going to do the same for Burnley in all likelihood. Uh, but I have, to, I have to say that we're going to get some, some points on the board before this second international break. It's only going to be a point. I'm going to go for a <laughs> one-all draw, but it's better than nothing. Um, I don't have enough confidence in Norwich at the minute to say we're going to go away and win at Burnley because this just feels like the type of game Norwich lose. They just get out. <laughs> Last time we were in the Premier League, we lost 2-0 away at Burnley. We never, ever win these types of games. But we're going to get a point. And somebody other than Timu Puki is going to score a goal. And it's going to be glorious. And the doom <laughs> is going to be lifted. And... <laughs> Well, not much, but to an extent. So I'm going for Norwich to get their first points of the season in a one-all draw. Jake. Uh, Be kind. I have have to disagree. I think, um, yeah, I think the along came Norwich effects will will happen again. I think Burnley, as, as much of a difficult situation they're in, are a very difficult team to beat at times and I think especially for a team like Norwich that just can't score I think I think Burnley will lap that up and just keep you very quiet I think they'll scrape a 1-0 win I'm afraid 
that's what I actually wanted was gonna go for, but my <laughs> my, my yellow tinted glasses got the better of me. <laughs> um Reese. Yeah. This is a tricky one. Just because Burnley, to be fair to them, they've scored in every game this year, apart from against Arsenal and Liverpool. Like they they know how to find the back of the net, unlike your boys. Um uh, but I'm a bit like you in that I think you've got to get some points from somewhere. You are not going to lose 38 games this year, surely. <laughs> like, <I don't> no. <laughs> like that's you've got to find points somewhere, and I think playing against a team who is just above you in the league is a chance to get something from the game. My only worry, as you said about, I was listening to you talk about the change in formation back to four two three one. I think in a team that is losing, has lost six games in a row in the league and hasn't won in the Premier League for however long it is. Last know, February. It was, yeah. Well, February 2020. It's <laughs> a concern that you're already thinking we need to go to our third formation of the season. I know it's back to the Farker OG de Farker, it, Farker doesn't know, at the minute, Farker doesn't know his best 11 yeah, or exactly. best system. And it's very obvious. And that is that is the concern for Norwich, is that I think it's... Is too much change happening, like going to a three-five-two and then a four-three-three and then a four-three-one. I think that's just—it's so different, and it's you can't get any consistency going if you keep chopping and changing things, and that's the concern I've got. But I think I'm going to stick with you, and I'm going to go for a one-all draw as well. Or do I want to go for a nil-nil? Burnley always score though. I only go for a one-all draw. Thank you. <laughs> it means a lot. I believe in the Norwich system. I do. But the questions around sort of Farker will refuse to go away if Norwich had zero points after six games. Mm. Um, I think at that point, you everybody says at this point of the season you should have a not a full picture of who people are, but you should you're starting to put pieces there, put one pieces together and establish who everybody is. And if Norwich had no points after six games, the fear is that. As good as Farker might be on the training pitch and getting youth players through the system and, and in the at championship level, he's unbelievable. Mm. But has a has he learned anything up uh, anything from the two seasons? And and secondly, is he frankly good enough? Yeah. Um, and those will questions will continue to circle if we don't get anything, but we shall see. Uh, last of three o'clock, Jake Leeds are hosting Watford. Mm. So Leeds v Watford. Guess how many times these two teams have played each other. Twice. I don't know. <laughs> 117. It's in between those two numbers. Um, 25 matches. That is. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. I was yeah. stunned. Stunned. Um, and it's been fairly Watford dominant in the past, especially the last. Watford have won the last four matches in this fixture. Um, and I fancy him to do it again. I think the they're, they're, they're really kind of um, holding their own in this league. I know they've not got you know, a massive amount of points, but they're, they're winning games when they can. They're, they're drawing when they can't. They've lost a couple of games, but they look really difficult to, to play against. And they've got a lot more creativity than I gave them credit for at the start of the season, that's for sure. Um, and conversely, Leeds are, are on a torrid run and do not look like anything like the team they were last season. Um, all the season before and I think they're going to struggle again I think we will see a Watford 2-1 win Tasty 
I'm going for a one all draw again here. Again, Leeds are in a bit of bit of a mire at the minute. Um, yeah. Watford, like you said, they're one of those teams that sort of are more are better than you actually think. Like mm. I think they're also better than their results indicate as well. Mm. Um, and like you said, individually they've got some great players, and Dennis looks like a a really mm. good find. Mm. Um, Star as well. Sarr just is unbelievable. He shouldn't be playing for Watford. <laughs> Reece, <laughs> what do you think the score is going to be here? This is going to be a, a Leeds ding dong again. I think they they cannot defend, but they can score. I'm oh, I'm going to go for a two all draw. I think I'd be like you. I think Watford have got a bit about them, mm. and Leeds have not this year. But they will do the Leeds thing of running around and nicking goals when they can. So I'm going to go yeah. for a two all ding dong. Uh, in the late game on Saturday, five thirty, Brighton are hosting Arsenal. We spoke about Arsenal a lot when in the team of the week section, and when we talked about Spurs, they were really good. Again, as bad as Spurs were, Arsenal were also very good. Yeah, they were. Um, Arsenal fans, you're welcome for Norwich kickstarting your season. They're now three games, won three games in a row in the league. Um, I think they're going to continue it here, Brighton. Um, obviously, got that. We'll be riding off the high of getting that last minute equaliser in their derby game against Palace on Monday, uh, and they have started the season really well. Um, but I, I, I'm not saying I'm buying into the Arteta, Arteta project, but I can see, I can see signs of what he's trying to do, which is something I couldn't say four weeks ago. <laughs> um, I think you're starting to get a picture of what an Arteta team, Arsenal team, looks like. Players like we mentioned, Saka, Smith-Rowe, uh, I think Thomas Partey coming back is a really good thing, a uh, big thing for them. And Aubameyang looked like he actually cared on uh, on Sunday, which was mm. a big thing. We've not seen that from him so far this season. He looked like a player who was back to his best. Tommy Asu has been really good. Gabriel being fit again, big lift for Arsenal. Then Ramsdale has kept uh, kept a clean sheet on his debut, what? and then that save by the way, did he so, tip over the crossbar? Yeah, unbelievable. Maybe, but... Maybe they were right to spend that much money on him. We, mm. we, we, time will tell. But I think as good a start of Brighton have made this season, I'm going to go for an Arsenal win here and go 2-1 to Arsenal. Uh, Reese, what are you going for? Well, that's interesting. I was watching Brighton on Monday against Palace in the, the M23 derby. And <laughs> the one thing that struck me was how well-organised Brighton were. I was okay. really impressed with kind of the system they had in place. They had clear kind of... I think it was 5-2-3 they had kind of going on that was very Tuchel-esque, I suppose. I'm a very, obviously, homer in that situation, <laughs> but it just looked very organised. And I think they knew all knew what their roles were to play. And obviously, they nicked a goal right in the last minute, and it was a nice finish, but, you know, you can always nick a draw any time. Um, but, yeah, I think Brighton are going to cause Arsenal some issues. I think they'll be well, more, more well-organised than Spurs were. I think they do have a bit of confidence going into that game. Um, but I think Arsenal winning three in a row and the fact they just beat Tottenham, that that was the real sign they needed to kind of, we can kick on from this now. You know, you can beat Burnley, you can beat Norwich any time, but beating Spurs was always going to make a massive difference to their confidence. So I think, yeah, I think Arsenal will take this one. Uh, I think 2-0 to Arsenal. 2-0. Jake, what are you going for? Uh, I think it's it's no secret how I feel about both these teams. Probably, um, <laughs> I'm really impressed by Brighton. They've been one of the the most impressive teams this season. It's between probably them and Brentford for me as the team that I'm kind of rooting for at the minute. Um, obviously behind Spurs. 
um, but that could change with <laughs> things carry on. Um, obviously, I really don't like Arsenal. Um, Do you not? Nah, you should, you something about them, yeah. Um, I think this is, like I have my nil-nil every week prediction, I think this is my prediction for a big result, a big, a big scoreline. I'm going to go for goals galore, Arsenal to think they've won it, and then Brighton to snatch it at the end in a 3-2 Brighton win, just for excitement. Yeah. Pure Barclays. Uh, Moving to the Sunday fixtures, Reese, West Ham are hosting Brentford at 2 o'clock. What's going on here? It seems quite exciting, this game, because both teams obviously started the year really, really strongly. I think Brentford have come into the fore more recently. West Ham have kind of tailed a little bit. Obviously, they won the last game in a very exciting win in the last minute with Antonio. Um, but yeah, West Ham... Fancy hit, hit managers to... rejoice. Exactly. I actually, to address that, by the way, and I tweeted saying how oh, I forgot Antonio on the bench. I hadn't forgotten him. I just forgot. I think I just looked at the wrong screen or something, but I did you have for... Antonio playing, so I kept you'd forgotten points. that You'd forgotten that you'd forgotten. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I forgot that I made some changes. <laughs> so... There's a good manager in me somewhere, so my position as fantasy guru remains. Um, but I think Brentford-West Ham is a very evenly matched game. I think Brentford are going to go into it, as they've done every game, going at teams, showing that they can win. And they've Brentford are going to be absolutely screaming with confidence after drawing Liverpool. Um, and West Ham have faltered ever so slightly um, in recent weeks. So I think I'm erring on the side of Brentford. But I think it'll end, it'll end in a very exciting 2-2 draw. Goals galore this weekend. We'll yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Jake, what are you going for? Um, yeah, similar thoughts. I think West, they've both had brilliant seasons so far, respectively and, and relatively for what we expect from them. They've both kind of um, impressed a lot of people. I think I was... I'm super close to saying a West Ham win because they, they do seem to grind out these results, but at the same time, Brentford do not let results slip away either. Mm. Um, and I think both teams will, will really, really fight for what they can get from this game. And I think we'll see a 1-1 draw. Um, as good as Liv- uh, Brentford were against Liverpool, um, I think this is the kind of game West Ham should be winning again if they've got Europe in mind at the end of the season. Um, as you said, Reece, they've had a bit of a tricky spell recently, but I think West Ham are still a really good team. I think we're all in in, in agreement on that. Um, so I, I don't. It shouldn't really be a shock because West Ham should win their home games against newly promoted teams. But in a shock that to maybe you two and everybody else, I'm gonna go for a two nil West Ham win. Ooh. Mm. Maybe that's come out of a place of jealousy about Brentford, <laughs> and I just want to see them crash and burn for a bit. But um, going for a West Ham 2 0 win. Um, the second of the Sunday 2 o'clock kickoffs, Jake, Crystal Palace are hosting Leicester. What's mm. going on here? Um, fairly even tie, historically. Um, Leicester just have the edge over the, the course of history. Uh, and they do in the last four games as well, unbeaten in the last four against Palace. But this season, um, Leicester have looked an absolute shadow of the former self and Palace look to be picking up a bit of speed and a bit of momentum. And, and we can see, like I said about Arteta and stuff like that, we can kind of see the Vieira project taking taking shape a little bit. Um, and I think they're going to capitalise on, on that momentum that they've got and 
change the run of form against Leicester in recent years. I don't think it's going to be an easy win. I think it's going to be a, a scrappy one, this one. Again, every week there's a scrappy win somewhere for me. And I think this is the one. I think Palace will just edge it in a 2-1 win. Uh, I'm going for a one-all draw. Less, like you said, Leicester looks nothing like we expect from Leicester at this point. Uh, Palace were... I don't want to say unlucky to 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 only get a point against Brighton because Brighton played uh, really well, but lose uh, dropping points in the last minute like that, especially in a derby, is 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 cruel really for for the team that concedes. But Palace looks solid. They started the season slowly, but they've they've warmed up now and and they look like they're 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 really onto something there under Vieira. So I'm going for a one all draw here. Reese, what are you going for? I was going to go one one as well. Palace are a bit... You still can. <laughs> yeah. I, don't wanna, I just don't want to just follow your lead. Mate. I want to try and spice this tournament up a bit. Um, because Palace are like... They just seem like draw merchants right now, where everything they do is probably going to be a draw. <laughs> like they, they're not, they haven't got enough about them to win that many games, but they've got enough about them to put up a really good fight in those games. Um, so a draw feels inevitable in this fixture. But do I... But Leicester, like you've all said, are not looking like you know, they have done. But then, obviously, at the weekend, Vardy showed up for the first time this season, really, scoring twice, well, three times, technically. Um, but I think Leicester probably will have enough for, enough enough to win this game. I'm going to go Leicester 1-0. Okay. Yeah. Again, we've got all bases covered there. Somebody's going to be left smiling. <laughs> um the final game of the weekend is the big game of the weekend, as is quite often the case. Um, Liverpool are hosting Man City in the top of the table. Clash race. Good game, team. this one. Should be really good, I think. Um, it's very exciting to see how this week finishes for Pep Guardiola and Man City. Just because, obviously, it started well beating Chelsea, but they got they weren't very particularly confident yesterday against PSG. No, um, and I was surprised that Pochettino pulled that out because I didn't think PSG were all that... Um, but obviously, when you've got Messi that can do what he did yesterday, you know, you just suddenly you just got to accept genius does win out. Whereas Liverpool, they'll be hurting from losing, you know, dropping two points against Brentford. That was a game that they did not look like themselves. They were very disorganised at the back, and Van Dijk didn't have his usual impact in the game, and it was just a strange performance. Liverpool. Um, they demolished Porto in the Champions League as well. They did. I think they, they needed that. But then Porto have a bit of the Norwich about them, where they always lose <laughs> Liverpool really badly. So maybe that was just a classic case. Porto of... and Norwich <laughs> brethren. Yeah. Um, but in this one, I I don't know. I think Liverpool are going to have a bit too much for Man City. You know, I think Man the again the Man City striker issue is going to rear its head again because even though they beat Chelsea. They didn't create that much if you look at the actual stats. They didn't. They only challenged Mendy about maybe two or three times in the game, and one of the goal they scored was a very scruffy deflected goal. And yes, they dominate possession, but they always do. Um, so I, Liverpool are much more have much more about them going forward, and I think they're going to be able to get at the Man City back line much better than Chelsea did because I don't think Liverpool will change how they play. They are they are who they are for a reason, and that's how they. Win win games. They just they go for, with their attack. So I think Liverpool are going to take this one. I think it's going to end poorly for Pep. I'm going to say two one to Liverpool. Two one. I'm going to one up you and say three one to Liverpool. Oh yeah. I think I don't know. I, I I'm just thinking back to that game 
two years ago, three years ago, where Liverpool beat City 4-1 at home. Mm. Um, For some reason, I'm just that's all I can visualise is a really <laughs> dominant Liverpool uh, victory. Um, like you said, while City beat Chelsea, they weren't hugely creative. No. And that the lack of a striker is still problematic despite winning. They scored a goal. Obviously, Jesus scored, but... Um, and and they lacked that forward presence against PSG in midweek as well. I think going up against Van Dijk and and that Liverpool back five, which I declared as the best unit in the Premier League, and then they went and conceded three to Brentford. Uh, but I Classic. think that <laughs> in, in true Goldmouth <laughs> Ramble fashion. Uh, but yeah, I think that um that is going to be a really real problem for City. So I'm going for a three-one Liverpool win with Salad score a hat trick. Why not? Mm. Um, <laughs> Jake, what are you going for to round us out? Uh, it's it's one of those games, isn't it? It's going to be really hard to predict. Really, whatever you know, all these big clashes from the top four, we can we can predict what we want, and it's probably going to be wrong. And the tactics are always different to what we expect in these games, and the, the kind of the atmosphere in this situation gets gets the better of teams sometimes. So. It is a very, very difficult one to predict. City could pull something out of the bag very easily and Liverpool could crumble very easily. But I I agree with both here. I think I think Liverpool have just got too much as a, a as a goal threat. Um and City do not have that. I could I could see a big win for Liverpool. I could definitely see the three one happening. Um but I'm gonna be a little bit more reserved. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with, with Reese as well there in a two one. Liverpool win, but I think um, I think that front line of Liverpool will be probably the difference. Liverpool now this season just look like the team they were two and three years ago, where yeah. they look like they can just score for fun against anybody. That's let's say they dropped points against Brentford, but they scored three and could have scored about mm. eight. Yeah. Um, they just look like they can score for fun against anyone. But yeah, that rounds out our game week seven predictions and previews. Um. Good. So, as is as commonplace at this point of the show now, uh, for the final little section of the show, we're going to go over to Reese's Fantasy Football Corner. Do, 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 do. That's far too similar to Match of the Day. I don't think we'd get away <laughs> yeah, with that. That was my first one. I was like, nah, I can't do that. Um, so, uh, in terms of us three and our performances, um, Jacob actually stayed exactly where he was last week. Um, he stayed in 27th position. He had a pretty strong week, 49 points. Uh, Nick, yourself, you did actually move up one spot to 15th. So you well love done. to see it. But you did have a terrible worst week, performance yeah. of the week compared to me and Jake. And then I also climbed, but only up to 31. I am very much in the danger zone of this league. Um, <laughs> but our top four is, as ever, the same kind of people are there. Sean Alexander, our potential new fantasy guru, is in first <sighs> place with uh, 426 points. Sam Platt, Splat FC, second place. The Kai's Limit in third place and Santander McGoldrick in fourth place. Um, That's the regulars, isn't it? Yeah, they are. Those four (laughs) really kind of nailed down that top four finish at the minute. We need to have someone to have a big week because like we mentioned earlier, this was a very low scoring week across the fantasy kind of climate. Um, Our highest scoring team was actually friend of the show, Corey Hughes, with... Only I refuse to believe that. He hasn't changed his team in about six weeks. He hasn't touched it since week one, and he's climbed every week for the last three weeks. You know, he was at once 38th, 
Now he's 34th. He is hot on my heels, which is very concerning. By the end of the season, if he's going at one spot a week, he'll be, he'll be there. <laughs> he will be. <laughs> so he had, a, he had a good week. I think, obviously, his Arsenal fandom helped him. He had Smithrow and Saka in his seat, team with Cancelo at the back. So it was just a good week for him. But it was a poor week. Obviously, no Ronaldo, no Lukaku, no Fernandez points. Like It was just super low scoring. Um, so hopefully he'll be returned to form in the coming a couple of days but in terms of our stars of the week um very similar to our team of the week actually um apart from the keeper the other three are in our team of the week so the keeper of the week was jose Sar at wolves who got an assist amazingly but he, he also made six saves as well so that always helps with goalkeepers so a big 14 points for him our best defender was courtney hawes who got 15 points for his goal and a clean sheet um very good performance from him uh, Saka was the best midfielder with 13 points again a goal and an assist um, and then the best striker was um, Vardy who's been in the t- this kind of section before with a very respectable 11 points um, the week after I bend him off is yeah, always going to happen I've never had Vardy to be fair. I've, I've <laughs> never been a big Vardy fan so I, I just don't tend to stick with him um, but I've not got really any top tips I think you all know who you're looking at at this point it feels like everyone in, and their Dog has gone after Chelsea defenders this week because I think they've got obviously they've got Southampton coming up, and I think Lukaku is looking to return to form against those two, so it could be worth going into the Chelsea field of team of players again uh, for this week. But we'll see. Liverpool it was obviously a risky one because it's Man City. You never know how Man City you're going to go. I know we all three of us just went against Man City, which is a risk, but I think you're always going to get points out of those players. So it's going to be a high scoring week this week with Liverpool and Man City playing. So, you yeah, hope we'll so. I want to say you and Jake both predicted some high scoring games. So, we have goals are plenty to be had in the Barclays this weekend. Goals. So, based on our form, though, we're going to have 5 0 nil 5 0 nils. Absolutely guaranteed. <laughs> Get your bets in now. Good. Right. It's a very long episode this week. Um, just short of two hours. Um, we will be doing another show next week, despite the, the dreaded international break. Um, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to do a quiz week. Ooh, how exciting. I'm actually quite excited for this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which obviously the, yourselves, the listeners can all play along with. Uh, but me, uh, Reese, and Jake are all going to quiz each other on um, on all things Premier League and football. So look, for, look, out, look out for that next week. Uh, again, that'll be out on Thursday. But until then, all that leaves me to do is say thank you to Reese and Jake. Thank you to you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to contact us and send us a question, I know some of you are regularly sending us questions in the DMs on Twitter. If you want to, it's gr underscore pod. Do so on there. Either send us a DM or just tweet at us and we'll see it. Uh, but as I said, until next Thursday, uh, thank you for listening as always. And we'll see you then. Bye bye.